You can talk about a post-Christian society. You can talk about a post-modern society, post-modern-modern modern society, post-all that society. But you can never theologically speak of a post-Christ society. It's impossible. Mm. All things made by him and for him, all things are held together in him. It is impossible to be post-Christ. Hi, everyone. It's Jaden. Thanks for joining us on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Today, we're sharing a very special episode. It's a recording of an interview that we did recently with Daryl Johnson live and online for pastors from across the country. Now, in case you don't know Daryl, he is a preacher, pastor, author, mentor. Currently, he's serving as a part of the teaching and pastoral team at the Way Church here in Vancouver, BC, and he's been preaching Jesus for over 50 years years. Daryl is an incredible example of not just a faithful leader, but a faithful disciple. And at CCLN, we often take the opportunity to sit down with Daryl, to gather pastors around him in order to hear all that the Lord has taught him in those decades of following Jesus. And we had two goals or hopes, you could say, going into this time together. First, like I said, we wanted to take the opportunity to learn from someone like Daryl, to uncover themes around pastoral ministry, like how to deal with hurt, serving in the church while keeping our families a priority, practically how to do a hospital visit, all of which and more is talked about in the conversation. But another hope for us was that we could go and process what we just heard with other pastors in similar positions serving elsewhere in Canada. What we're finding is that the dialogue after these conversations exponentially increases the value and helpfulness of what was just heard. It brings these ideas out of the abstract and into our own personal context and really helps move the dial in our personal discipleship and leadership journeys. So right after the time with Daryl, we spent a good 45 minutes together in these groups, sharing our stories, our challenges, what stood out to us and praying with one another. It was a real joy. Okay, with all that said, before we jump in, here's a quick word from the team at Compassion Canada who helped make this episode possible. Then we'll head right into our time with Daryl. One thing we love about Compassion Canada is their commitment to the local church and to local church leaders. It's really something built into their identity, initiatives, and priorities as an organization. And that's one reason we're happy to partner with them at CCLN. In the 25 countries where they serve children living in poverty, Compassion invests in local churches, pastors, and volunteers to equip and empower the church and to reach their neighbors with practical care and the good news of Jesus. Here in Canada, it's the same. Compassion is wholly committed to investing in Canadian local church leaders. In particular, during these times when refreshment and connection and refueling is so needed, Compassion does things like national pastors calls and giving away free resources for pastors. We know you'll find rich connection in reaching out to the Compassion Church team. They'd even love just to hear from you and pray for you. And you can get in touch with them today by heading to Compassion.ca. That's Compassion.ca. Well, how are we doing, Daryl? Pretty well, Jason. Welcome, everyone. It's so good to have you. Um, Daryl, I don't know uh, if you're tracking with all of it, but I got them to give us a list of who was coming. Hundreds of pastors. I don't know how many of them are on. Some of them sign up, get the recording later uh, from across Canada. Like, we just love looking at all the different towns represented because, like, we love Canada. Like I'm head over heels for Canada. And um, I find great joy. I don't know how you feel. Remembering, it's so obvious, but God has thoughtfully placed like churches, pastors, just 
thoughtfully scattered them across the country. And this just reminds me in this most personal, visual way of like, of course, God's got it. God's got it. He's got it. He's doing it. Um, and that's the advantage of this technology is that when I was doing ministry, we didn't we didn't have a way to see all that. Yeah. I had a map, you know, on, on my wall and I could put little pegs on that, but that doesn't do the same as seeing these pictures. Oh, it's so life giving. And have this um this this tapestry mm-hmm. of ministers around Canada. So And we've got guests from <coughs> other countries all over the world. I saw um, the list, yeah. And uh countries we learn from. You know, countries that have dealt with challenges in the church that we look to for their example. And I just love that we can learn from the global church yeah. as well. Um, you guys can see the view here. We're in Vancouver, right downtown. And I was just thinking, Daryl, to start, like you've pastored in a number of cities in California, in the Philippines, and in Vancouver. And um, I know that for you, passionate First Baptist, you've described to me that journey of walking to work, praying yourself into that and that's like a something that we probably all feel in different ways, whether it's a drive, it's kind of like a holy kind of pilgrimage into that place. Yeah. And just even as you look out here and First Baptist isn't far, what's happening in your heart? You know, when you look at this city and these high rises with your pastor heart, what do you feel? Well, I, 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 I covet, I would love to live on the 25th floor. <laughs> yeah, this is neither of our house, by the way. We're just, I don't know, we found somebody that would the, let us. The view from here is spectacular. You just need to know that. So I have to admit that right off the bat. <laughs> uh, when I look out here, I feel what I've, I have felt since we first moved to Vancouver, and especially when I served as pastor. My heart breaks, and I hear Jesus' prayer in Matthew 19. Um, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Mm. And it comes out of the context of Jesus saying they're like sheep without a shepherd. Mm. And so I, I see these wonderful gifted people that live downtown here. And I, I, I just feel this lostness mm. and concern for that. So mm. I guess it, it's a shepherd's heart that I'm feeling. Yeah. One of the conversations that Daryl and I have had, and we were away with a group of pastors for one of the programs within CCLN last week. And uh, we're, we're wrestling with this question of like, what is a pastor? And on a Zoom call filled with people whose job description is pastor, I think if I'm honest, we sometimes have a crisis of identity. Huh. What is it, like, what is our job description? Because there's the job description to the organization, to the board. There's a job description that's connected to our gifts. But like, what does it mean when we say, I'm a, I'm a pastor? And we had this conversation. I just love for you to just reflect back. You know, how are you making sense of that the, the core identity of uh, what a pastor is? Well, I think, um, and I've said this to you before, that the COVID experience has refined that question mm. uh, because we we couldn't do ministry the way we we're used to doing it. Right. In particular, we couldn't do programs. Right. Uh, I don't mean to be critical, but we became program dependent. Well, and that's often what we feel like our, you might get into pastoring to care for people or whatever it might be, but then you find yourself administrating, designing, implementing, refining programs almost 60, 70% of your time. Of your time. And that was taken away from us. Yeah. And so I think um, for, for me personally, but as others I talk to, there's a rediscovery of the primary model for the pastor in the New Testament, and that is shepherd, hmm. linguistically. The word pastor is the word poimen, which is shepherd. 
Hmm. So right there, that tells us that our our job is shepherding. What and what does that mean? Yeah, what is that like? I I, I love it because sometimes people are like sometimes I think there's a like there's this tenderness to shepherding that we kind of imply. But then I read about shepherds, and there's also this like fighting, rugged, protecting, and so it's like even then it's like what what do we mean when we say pastor? What does that language mean if that informs what it means for us to be a pastor. Well, first of all, I'll give this little definition of pastoring that I'm working on. Sure. A pastor is a disciple of Jesus whom Jesus has called to participate with him in leading and caring for his own flock. Can you say that again? Yep. A pastor is a disciple of Jesus whom Jesus calls to participate with him Hmm. in leading and caring for his own flock. Wow. So, I love that, or, by or the make way. it simpler, a pastor is someone called to join the shepherding ministry of Jesus. Hmm. Now, yes, when we first hear that word te- uh, shepherd, we think in tender terms. But Timothy Laniac, a book I recommend, uh, Shepherds After My Own Heart, points out that shepherds are running a small business. Hmm. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land or other parts of the country and you watch a shepherd with a sheep, those dudes are working hard. Right. Uh, they have to anticipate if there's water at the next hill. They actually have to make sure there's food over there. So somehow they, they've got some assistance or something to get that food over there. They've got to watch for those that are straying away. They've got to watch for the wolves, and hence that image you use, you're fighting. So it's an all-encompassing kind of image for ministry. Mm. And so when you think about it, a shepherding involves administration, uh, leadership, resource development, um, visitation, I mean, n- name it, and it's included under the umbrella shepherd. But the image of shepherd has a way of pulling it all together and making it much more personal. Hmm. The issue is, does the shepherd know her or his sheep? Can you, can you call them by name? Do you know what they're going through? Um, and I think COVID um, forced that upon us. Hmm. Um, and, th- and those who I think made it through COVID, if I could put it that way, with a sense of joy about ministry, rediscovered making phone calls Hmm. um, and going to visit those who would allow them to come into their house with their masks. Uh, There's a person that lives in the building where Sharon and I live, and he's a pastor. And it was just fun to watch. I would say, how are you doing? He says, well, I I talked to six people today. Wow. And he usually didn't. Yeah. Because he was busy doing the programming Mm. at the time, not to put that down. Yeah, but that was pre- taking over the time where now he was focused on those people, and you know, within the, in the middle of that COVID, there two hundred and twenty-five people in the church. He knows them all by name. He knows what they're going through. He knows their struggles, their joys, hmm. um, and, and that that convicted me deeply hmm. about that shepherding model. Now, in terms of what the shepherd does, there are two great texts: Ezekiel thirty-four, where God invades against. The shepherds who were not doing like, their work. It's a, re- it's a rebuke against yeah. bad shepherding. Yeah, and I could just quickly read um, what, what God says. Um, Those who were sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you've not healed. Mm-hmm. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought the lost. But with force and severity, you have dominated them. And it goes on to talk about the shepherds were feeding themselves and not the sheep. Contrast that with Jesus, the good shepherd, in particular in Psalm 23. In fact, I'd suggest Psalm 23 is is a job description for a shepherd. Tell me more about that. Okay. Well, there we discover 
Jesus, the shepherd, what he does for us. Yeah. And I'm sure all of our participants know that psalm very well. Um, I'll just run through. There's eight things he does for us there. It's okay to Take use us through eight, it. eight points. In a, yeah, you know, I'm going to push this away. <laughs> yeah. you, just, you just go for it. <laughs> You're a good man. He rests us, hmm. which says that, that Jesus wants his people to live out of this deep restedness of the soul. Hmm. Uh, you know, in Matthew 11, he calls us, come to me who are weary and overburdened and I will rest you. And that, that's the signal of the first work of the shepherd. So he's always doing that for us. And I think then he calls us to help do that hmm. for our own people, for his own people that we're, we're caring for. He restores our soul. Usually that's taken uh, to be um, kind of a mm, tender, um, uh, with word I come alongside and just make you feel really yeah, good. A pat on the back. Pat on the back kind of thing. It's not. The word that's used here in translator restores shuv, S-H-U-V, mm. which means repent. Interesting. So the shepherd recognizes that we've got to get brought, be brought back on. The restoration comes from repentance. From getting repentance. Getting back in line. And, and he repents my soul, which mm. is neat to know. It's, it's a way of saying... I often can't do this repentance, but he so loves me. Wow. He enters into my life and he turns me around so that third, I can walk in the paths of righteousness. So, And then fourth, that he then goes through any kind of deep valley that we go through. Mm. And of course, that's then the call on we as under shepherds that we too are to walk through the valley with the people under our charge. And I, I wanna encourage everyone on this, don't be afraid. Wow. Never be afraid of entering into another person's suffering because you're going to meet the good shepherd there. In fact, you're going to meet him in a way you haven't met him in a little while. Can I slow you down a little yeah. bit on that? Because that's, that's a very profound thought. Like, I don't know if anyone shares this feeling, but something devastating can happen. Someone mm -hmm. loses a child. Mm -hmm. A marriage falls apart. Um, find out just someone, in, someone that you love in your congregation or under your care gets devastating news and then fear fear at the thought of i need to i know i need to do something i want to go to them but maybe what will i say what will i do and so fear gets in and then so i hear you describe this feeling of do not be afraid to go to these messy dark that's right complicated places um but then you said because there's some because christ is there he's there and there's actually an encounter with him that's correct uniquely available when you're with those who are suffering. Is That's that, right. am I hearing you right? You're hearing me correctly. And I think our job, and, and you, you can't do all this at once in one visit, of course, but um, our job is to uh, help people recognize that he is present. Mm -hmm. So my fundamental uh, responsibility is yes, to, to give words of comfort if, if there are any at the time, um, but mostly help people recognize that he is in fact present. Mm. And that'll take on a hundred different forms depending yeah. upon the circumstances. Can I follow this tangent a little yeah, bit further sure. and we'll come back to the, the you know, oh, a couple yeah. more in Psalm, yeah. we'll get back. <laughs> Maybe we might get back. Maybe Sometimes when we hang out, we follow the thread <laughs> and we don't make it back to yeah, all of them. Two hours later, what was that? that yes, we exactly. Um, can you take, take sometimes um, recently I was, I was called to visit a hospital and I didn't know what to read or say. And I thought I got to call Daryl and ask him what he would, what scripture he would read or what he would say or do. And I'm just wondering if you could take us into one, one moment um, where you were called into a painful situation and just 
what you did and what you were telling yourself and what you were reminding yourself just as a bit of a opportunity for us to learn because sometimes we don't know what what to do and i know every circumstance is infinitely diverse and so you know it takes the nuance and awareness but i just love to learn um what goes through your mind what are you reminding yourself what are you there to do yeah i it might be easier to start kind of more with, with the pattern that i think yeah, through yeah that would be um, helpful we're thinking hospital visitation yeah or any sort of you're going towards someone in in crisis, in but crisis. You, it can be a hospital room. That's a great picture. Could be at yeah. home. Yeah. yeah, you're going to visit them. Well, first of all, as I'm making my way to that place, I'm praying my heart out. Mm. Dear God, if there's a word to speak, help me speak it, and don't let me say anything trivial. Yeah. Um, or, or or pious, just because I'm supposed to show up and say pious things. So I, I'm praying my heart out. Uh, we get to the hospital room. Um, I pray again, and I remind myself that as I enter that room. Jesus is there already. Mm. I do not bring his presence. Mm. Well, I do because I, he's in me. So in, in a sense, I do. But he's already there with those people. So I remind myself wow. of that, lest that be a really um, wrenching, scary place in which to go. Right. Um, then I, I, I look at the surroundings. Is it the right time to call? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not. There's a nurse in there caring for the person or, or whatever. Um, and then if it's the right time to call, then my first thing is, um, Jason, uh, th this is Daryl's, is, would this be a good time to visit? Mm. So I give them the permission to invite me in. Yeah. And sometimes you get, no, can you come back in a little while? Yeah. Um, or I don't wanna see anybody. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, and then as I go in and I'm heading towards your, your bed to be present, it, I, it is as though I'm already backpedaling to leave. Because I don't want anyone to ever feel I stayed too long. Mm. I've been on the other end of that. Mm. I have been in the hospital. I had heart attacks. I mean, and um, and um, most of the visits were good, but some of the visits were people coming in for their need, and they're, they stayed too long. Mm. I'm in the hospital to rest, right? Yeah. So I want to be sensitive, watch their face, pick up cues of that I've been there long enough, and then. Um, depending upon what they share and what they say, we're going to go in different directions. Um, and then I will say towards the end, would you be up to me praying for you? Mm. And some people say no. Mm. And, and you go, well, why do they say no? Because it's too tender. Yeah. And they don't want to cry. Yeah. So um, you, you say, then I, I bless you. Mm. Um, and um, I try to reach for the forehead. And I, I don't even ask permission on that one. I just reach out, the mm. Lord bless you and keep you. Yeah. And then, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll contact you later. Mm. And I'm out. Wow. So now, sometimes you get into a lengthy conversation. Mm. And so you have to be prepared. Yeah. You've paid the parking meter long yeah. enough to yeah, be able yeah. to stay for an hour. <laughs> uh, so those are just kind of the practical things yeah, I appreciate that you have to that. be attending to. Take us back to Psalm 23. How far did we get through it? We halfway got through. Take us, through. Take us the rest of the way. Good. Um, so then he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death or any other kind of dark place. And then we come out and he set a table for us. And we could spend a long time. What is that table? Hmm. I think it's a table for refreshment, a table for strengthening, but mostly a table for fellowship. Hmm. I'm inviting you to sit around the table with me. Um, he then anoints our head with oil. I, I hope I'm not um, 
um, allegorizing here, but I, that whole language of anointing the head is, is a picture of the Holy Spirit, hmm. and particularly the oil of gladness. Um, and then he fills our cup. What does he fill our cup with? Uh, good things, but mostly himself. Hmm. And so as our ministry with other people, with the sheep, is to, to remind them God, God's great desire is to, is to give himself to you. Hmm. That's what you, you want even more than healing or wisdom. You want him. Hmm. And I want to pr promise people, this is happening. Wow. He said, I'll give you myself. And this is happening right now. Um, and then uh, he follows us. That's my favorite part of the whole psalm. We are, we are sheep following the shepherd. But the shepherd then turns that around and follows us because he says, David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my mm. life. Um, the, the word for goodness is the word tov. People may have heard that, Genesis 1. It was good, tov, it was good. Then when God makes humanity, it was tov meot, it was really good. So tov, the goodness of God. And uh, goodness and mercy, mercy translates there the word hesed. And hesed means, uh, is the word that's hard to render in one English word because it's all about God's loyalty to his covenant. Mm. Um, I said I would be there for you and with you. I, I've made you my people. I give you myself. I'm your God. And so you, you turn around and you see behind you goodness and mercy, tov and hesed following you all the days of your life. I think I shared with you where that came alive for me as our, our first son was about eight years old. And he wanted to um, get money uh, so he could buy things. So he wanted to do chores. So I said, okay, then you can mow the lawn. And that's, I had an electric mower, you know, and I showed him how to go down and then turn around and come back and go down and come back. And then I went off to do something else. And then he came in the house and I'm all done. Can I have my money? Gave him money, his money. He and his buddies go off and I go out and the lines are not straight. They're crooked everywhere. And so I have to correct this. And I, I, I say to the Lord, am I going to be mopping up after this kid all his life? Mm. And I hear in my head, I've been doing that for you all your mm. life. Turn around and you'll see goodness and mercy following you. Wow. And so our job then, each of these things <clears throat> in that case is to help people see that, yeah, they failed. They haven't lived up, et cetera, et cetera. But look what's happened. This shepherd's so good wow. that he comes behind you and he sweeps it with mercy and he blesses it with his, his covenant love. Um, and and I, I think that's the heart of them, this under-shepherding ministry that, mm. that we have. Now it involves a lot of personal relating. Yeah, beautiful. It's time-consuming. Yeah. It was hard for me to do in the churches I served, because they were big. Yeah. And you know me, at least during those years, primarily a preacher. Well, I've got 20, 25 hours of the week to get ready for that. Yeah. So there was no way I could follow up with everybody. Mm. Um, and that was hard. Mm -hmm. um, so that leads to then you needing to build a team of yeah. other shepherds who are all doing this together according to their wiring. Um, you know, the, the person who's highly administratively wired is doing shepherd work mm. by making sure the systems are in place, mm. by making sure the resources are getting to the programs that are that, that need the resources. Mm. So that's why I'm kind of excited about that in the shepherd model of ministry again. I appreciate that a ton. There's some really beautiful questions that came in. Everyone that applied or um, registered um, had the opportunity to make some commentary on a question. I just want to read this one. 
word for word. A lot of the questions are just, I've pulled together some of the themes, but in this case, I just thought I would read it word for word. It says this, this is somebody coming from Ontario. I've been working in ministry for over a decade, but I'm relatively new senior pastor, a little under three years. I started just in time for the pandemic. While I have, while I have loved the transition into being a senior pastor, one thing I wasn't prepared for was the amount of personal hurt and disappointment that comes with the role. When I read that, first of all, I just felt like, yeah, me too. I'm like on the same timeline as this mm-hmm. gentleman. And mm-hmm. um, you genuinely care about people. This is what he goes on to say. Mm-hmm. You gen- genuinely care about people and invest in them. You're in their living rooms and even hospital rooms. You pray for them and pray with them. You see Jesus work in their lives. And then sometimes they just leave. They go to somewhere else. They stop going to church altogether. Sometimes it's in a huff and sometimes it's silent, but it almost always hurts. What does working through and processing this hurt and disappointment look like for you? Well, I know what they're talking about, <laughs> as you said. Um, there's there's a lot of dimensions. I'll just start in and then you, yeah. you're so good at asking the questions that ferret out the rest of it. <clears throat> I don't mean this piously. So I'll look in the camera to whoever raised that question. I don't mean this piously at all. I, interesting, I find myself saying that a lot lately. Mm. I think it's because some ministry is pretty simple and straightforward. So I don't mean this piously, but the first thing to do is I, I need to tell the Lord how it hurts. Mm. Just to come. He invites us to bring our hurts and disappointments. Yeah. And so to actually name that in his presence. Now I do that through journaling. Mm. So the instructions to Sharon is when I die, all those journals get burned. You don't want us doing like a authorized biography with all of your journals? No. Okay, good. Just good to know. There are too many names there (laughs) and there's too much confession there. (laughs) Um, We can comment on that a little bit later. Um, But I write that out. So-and-so really hurt me, Lord. Mm. Um, There's a temptation for me to go it doesn't affect me i don't know why i feel that temptation i feel like that's what a strong godly identity in christ leader would say is you know my identity is not in this so it doesn't affect me i feel like that it's really special to hear you say to name it yeah uh yeah i just appreciate you saying that well (laughs) There's a number of reasons for naming. One, it, to, to write it down on a piece of paper or to speak it to somebody gets it out of your soul. Hmm. So it doesn't sit there and niggle away at you. Yeah. Um, and it's also just a, a way of, of acknowledging before God the reality of that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 you look at, uh, well, look at David in his Psalms when he's being slandered, hmm. when he's being. Um, people are coming against him does he say oh that doesn't bother me my goodness you can't read many psalms without getting to the fact that a it hurts and and sometimes he's really angry and go get him god Mm. (laughs) i've written that too (laughs) Uh, so anyway to acknowledge it before the lord and then to find some way to let it go um i was hurt many times but really deeply hurt uh, before we moved here to canada and um I won't tell the story, but uh, uh, Sharon and I wrote all this out on a document 
and a document was put out that accused me of things that I that were not true. And um, we, we took what we wrote, we took this document, and we went up to Queen Elizabeth Park, and Sharon brought along her gardening spade, and she dug a big hole. Um, sometime I'll show you where it is. And we just ripped up everything hmm. that hurt us into just a you know, gazillion pieces. I just cried my way through that. Wow. And then we just buried it in the hole there. Hmm. And that was like a like a spiritual, a physical, but also spiritual exercise. Yes, right. Hand it over. Just to get, so it's not going to eat me up. Hmm. Um, what is, Paul says, don't let any root of bitterness get a hold of you. So those are ways of then, now, then, dep- then depending upon all that processing, there may be a need to go now hmm. and speak to those persons that hurt. But I wouldn't do that until I've done that other work. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it can turn, it can become confrontational and yeah. become poisonous. And then you've got more to deal with. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's, that's some of my approach. How did you get up in front of a congregation where there was, you're literally, it's such a crazy thing we do as pastors. It's like, <laughs> it's so crazy. You can, you know, inevitably challenges interpersonal stuff. And we're so f- flawed and human ourselves and we're trying to lead this thing and uh i'm sure you have memories of having to get up on a sunday and preach in front of a congregation where you see faces of people who either you know you've let them down or they've hurt you with accusations or whatever it might be how did you navigate that personally yeah or people who don't want you to be in the pulpit yeah i I can see those faces right now yeah they're going to they're going to be in that church no matter who the pastor is but right now they do not like the present pastor how did you navigate that yeah <laughs> again just i don't mean it simplistically but i had to just pray saturday night and sunday morning over those people hmm. i can see see their name and say dear god i don't understand why they're upset with me i don't understand what i did um, but please don't let that affect the preaching of the word for the multitude who is very, very happy I'm there. Yeah. Um, help me, don't, just don't let that eat away at me mm. when I'm preaching. Um, and then to, to look at those who are, are receptive. Mm. You, you, you've preached enough to know, you can look around a room, you know who's going with it, so you keep going back to them. Find the friendly faces. <laughs> you, do. you do, well, they're open. Yeah. They're sheep who wanna be fed. So, Goodness, do that. Yeah. Those who don't want to be fed, you pray for. Yeah. Please open their hearts, but I'm not going to, in that moment, mm. focus on them. Now, he's been faithful to me to, to enable me to speak in that context mm. and not, not shift to learning to correct them, mm. but just to let the text be the text, say what the text is saying, no matter who's there. Yeah. That's the best I can do on that one. What do you think is at stake for us as pastors if we don't deal with roots of bitterness? If we don't deal with, like what's at stake? Because sometimes the momentum of all the activity makes it difficult for us to do the hard work and just our own humanness to do the deep work of repenting, of bringing it before God, of confiding in a friend, of getting healed. And then hurt calcifies to bitterness and bitterness compounds. And then we can actually find ourselves decades later and we're walled up where this bitterness has found its way through. What's at stake? Because 
yeah, how does that impact our, our ministry and our lives? Well, you've described it quite a bit already. Um, I, it, I think there's a fatigue factor that finally settles in there. Uh, there are two ones that are most dominant to me. I think it affects our vision. Mm. The vision doesn't be clear. It's clouded by this negativity. So we don't see the flock the way Jesus sees the flock mm. anymore. We see it through our pain. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, it robs us of joy. Mm. And it's joy that is the contagion in leading worship. It's joy that's the, 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 what makes a sermon work for the most part. Mm. People are just taken by the fact that the preacher is so taken by the Jesus of this text. Mm. I can see it happening right now, right? Um, and that's not going to happen Yeah. if I let this bitterness um, you know, take, yeah. take over me. Mm. So a lot's at stake. So that would say, I, you said, how can I deal with that when I got this other stuff to deal with it? You're going to have to deal with this. Yeah. You're going to have to find a way to deal with it. Yeah. And the Lord, if my experience is anything like the norm, does create those times. Mm. There are times you're, off, you're going off to have a meeting with some leaders for lunch. Um, after lunch, stop somewhere. Go for a walk. Uh, go sit on a bench. You uh, described one time to me a rhythm you did when you were maybe in California, where you would the way you would schedule meetings is you'd leave certain times. Can you just describe that? Because it's so specific, so practical, but it's I think it's important. Well, let's yeah. The, the one I shared with you, I had to make a, a, a visit in the hospital uh, in Beverly Hills, so it was just a little bit away from the church. So I knew it took a half an hour to drive there. I figured the visit would be a half hour and a half hour back. So that's an hour and a half. So I told the secretary, I'll be back in two hours. Because mm. if I said one and a half and I don't make it, then mm -hmm. I get nervous and people are calling. In. So two hours and that half hour on the way back, then I stopped at McDonald's. And that's when I studied. Mm. I did a lot of my sermon preparation were done in 15 to 30-minute blocks at McDonald's. So we didn't have Starbucks right at that, that time. Um, and it was amazing. The, the, the book of Revelation, Yeah, it all clicked mm. after a call to the hospital in Beverly Hills on my way back in that mm. half hour. So um, I create space then for me to deal with whatever, especially if you're going to make a back-to-hospital call with someone who's really, really having a hard time and you're close to and you're going to be Mm -hmm. I, I try not to let my being ripped upness happen in the hotel, uh, the hospital room. But as I go out, I'm starting to cry. Yeah. And um, so to plan those to times, make those spaces, just plan it. Hmm. I love that. Can I move us to a different theme? One theme that came up a ton. Um, I'll use some of the language. Uh, it was around family. Um, here's some of the language that was used. How do we help our own kids love Jesus, not resent church life and the demands of ministry? How do you balance family with the pressures of ministry and all the needs to be done in a week? How do you build a sustainable rhythm for being in ministry and having family, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. I, I love the heart of these questions because these are uh, likely moms and dads, you know, or caregivers that deeply love their family and deeply love their church and find that tension. And so can you speak to that? Yes, I can. What would really be good is we ha if we my three kids were here yeah. and they could tell you whether or not I did it. I, th I don't hear any bitterness in them, mm. for which I'm grateful. Um, I didn't do this perfectly. There were times when I was over giving more time and energy and, and mental space to the church than to them. 
Um, so here's the things that I tried to practice. Uh, Sharon and I had a date night, mm. one night a week, Thursday night. But I didn't tell anybody in the church. Hmm. Don't tell. Why is that? Why not tell? Someone will make, I'm, I'm an exception to your date night. Oh, interesting. Or worse, can we join you on your date night? Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so we had that date night. Now it could be very- it Double was, date, it was, <laughs> triple date. There are times for that, yeah. But a time when we could log in. Yeah. And when we had, the children came, we had a babysitter come for two hours. Yeah. And that might be McDonald's or uh, go get a donut. You know, the budget was tight. It was not going to be real fancy. And just talk. Mm. And I tried not to talk about church. If I needed to share it with Sarah, we'd do that another time. Okay. So a date night. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, certain times when you just protect for the, for the children. So Saturday, I'm still working on my sermon. I either had Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon that was for the kids. Yeah. It depended upon when the baseball game was or soccer game or, sure. the, or the ballet yeah. lesson. So it, 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 could, it could vary week to week. But sometime on Saturday, uh, I made sure that if at all possible, I was home for meal at, mm. at dinner. Mm. Um, probably f yeah, five out of the seven nights I'm home. Yeah. So I'll be at the office and we have an elders meeting. It's at seven o'clock. I'll leave the office by five to go home and at least eat a little bit. I might have to rush, but I come back. Yeah. And I think that was really important. Mm. And then here's the, the biggest thing, reflecting on this. We, we were having dinner one night and I, as often happened, got a phone call. See, this was in the days before texting and all that you could put away. No, the phone would ring. Got a phone call and I took it and took a little bit of time, came back to dinner and our oldest daughter was really mad. Mm. She says, don't those people know you have children how come they can interrupt our lives? And I thought, ooh, boy, I, I don't want them to have that. So I said to her and, and the others, okay, here's the deal. You can call the church and I'll instruct the secretary. It doesn't matter what time of the day you call, you get through. Hmm. Next day, they all three tested oh, the yeah. waters to see if that worked. But one, one of our daughters said, that was the magic moment. We knew we had direct access to you. Nothing wow. was gonna get in the way. I told my secretary, it doesn't matter if we have an elders meeting or if I'm in a counseling session, if they call, they get directly. Yeah. And um, so they knew they had top priority. Yeah. Now I have to juggle that. When they were older and had uh, Friday night events, you know, I, I was a taxi driver. Yeah. So I just was honest with the church and say, in a, in a winsome way, I'm not available Friday nights anymore. I drive taxi from six until midnight. Mm -hmm. Everybody laughs, at least who had kids. And you just name that reality. Yeah. Um, I think speaking affectionately about your family, um, you know, up front, um, you do that. You've mentioned your kids and they're collecting money to give to the generosity fund and all of that. That's just a way of the church knowing that is a priority for you. Hmm. You don't have to say, my family comes before you. Yeah. Just have them come before you by celebrating the fact that hmm. you've got you have these people in your life. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing I did. It didn't work perfectly. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, I've just been thinking like, there's a narrative we like to share. And it's, it's like, if you do this 10 top tips or this one thing right, mm -hmm. you can be a great dad or mom, great spouse, great friend, 
and a great pastor. And uh, embedded in it is the hope that you can do it all. And I feel like the reality is you can't. can't. Like you can't be all of the things that you could be as the pastor. You can't be all of the things that you could be to the congregation or to the city you want to reach. Like there is a point where it's like, oh, you, you just can't, like you, there has to be a priority structure. That's right. And that, that creates a real tension. I, I kind of want to break the myth that it's like, because we're so human. We just can't be everyone's friend. Every, and I feel like this, this, I think I'm in this reality right now where I want to say yes to all the opportunities and be the good dad, the good, the good spouse and the past that's always available. And like, I'm coming to the point right now, like, I think I am at times really letting people down because they have expectations for me and I have to rest my heart. Like, am I okay being in the driver's seat of the priorities of my life? Or am I going to let that feeling of let down here drive me away from my family? Like that's the tension I'm wrestling with where it's like sometimes keeping this healthy means this doesn't go as well. Can you just reflect back to me anything on that? Like, does that make sense? Like, you know, I just want to break, is it, you know what I mean? That myth of like, maybe there's a secret way to do it all. But I'm like, I think that the reality is we're so human. We can't. There's no way to make it all. We can do it all. Um, and I bless you for just articulating that. And especially at your age and given all the ghosts that's, swirls around you there's just no way one human being can do it all so um you have to regularly prioritize before the lord what that looks like that that looks like on your calendar Hmm. um my my recommendation to you and everybody else is you have that calendar well you have the calendar on the phone i've got the old way and you just mark out times with with purple ink or something that it just stands out this is for this other thing and and you'd have to trust then Hmm. as you live those priorities the others will be taken care of somehow yeah i think you're gonna if you care for you care for the revival of the church in canada if you care for the conversion of canada you're always going to have this trouble Hmm. of there's so much more to do right but you're only one person um, the deeper thing I think that we're partly fighting against is most people called into ministry, see if, see if you agree with this statement, most people called into ministry um, have two things going on in their soul. They tend to be perfectionists and they tend to be messianic, a messianic complex. That's a hero complex? <laughs> a what? A hero complex? Yes. That's partly what draws us to that role. Hmm. And so early on, we have to ask the Lord to help us die to both. Hmm. We're not going to do this perfectly. Ugh. Yeah. I'm not. And I'm not the Messiah. This isn't my job to reach everybody. Yeah. And then, Lord, help me live with the criticism that comes. Yeah. And you can, you can do that gently. She, Daryl, I'd love to meet with you. I don't have time this week. Mm-hmm. And if if they can't live with that, they can't live with it. Mm-hmm. Daryl, you've pastored through through decades now. Um, as a side note, celebrating your seventy fifth was very special because we got to honor you yeah, as a team, you. which was so fun. But then it also just honor God's faithfulness through your life, um, enduring ministry. 
you know, by God's grace. And um, there's a great question. There's a couple of questions like this asked in two different forms. Some people ask like, what's changed? You know, what's, what's unique about ministry today than yesterday, you know, or the decade before, the decade before that. But then also, I think it was Wes asked the question from Vancouver, um, what hasn't changed? Like what is unchanging? What has been consistent the whole way through? And so that's a broad umbrella, but I just love to invite your reflections on it. What are, and you can take it any way you want. Um, but what, what's, been the, what's been constant, but then also maybe what do you see as unique challenges or opportunities in our day today? I'll flip it because it might be easier to speak to what's constant in light of what's changed. Sure, go for it. <clears throat> A lot has changed. I was ordained in 1971. Um, that's some time ago. And for the most part, uh, culture was pretty steady. Hmm. We had the Vietnam War. We had race riots. We had those things, but it wasn't constant on television. Hmm. You didn't see it a thousand times. Yeah. So uh, th- there was a, basically a, con- a consistency. Hmm. Uh, m- men were the ones who worked out, out of the home for the most part, and, and their jobs were not that far away. Hmm. So they weren't commuting long hours. Um, mothers, for the most part, were home, or they, if they had a, a work, it was a more of a boutique work that they could do while the kids are at school or all that. So the stability, that was one thing It's different. Mm. You, we don't have that now. Mm. Do we? It's not very stable now. No. Um, I, I, I began under the umbrella of Christendom. Mm. Christendom is this arrangement between the culture and the, and the church that we, there's a mutual respect. Yeah. Um, we could count on the fact that we needed to have three services on Christmas Eve. Right. Everybody's going to, if they're a Christian, are going to go to Christmas Eve. Easter is going to be packed out. Do we triple now on Sundays, on, on Easter Sunday? No, we don't. On Christmas Eve, do we triple again? No, we don't. It's a whole different culture. Mm. Um, uh, we didn't have social media. Mm. And so you could control the narrative, so to speak. Mm. You could also... You could you could read without getting bombarded with just so much stuff. When you say control, are you speaking this idea of like, there's so many ideas because in the as a preacher in a context, you're bringing God's truth, and you're sometimes thoughtfully up and against the untruths that they would. But now there's so many thousands of untruths coming in from every angle. It completely changes even our ability to engage the truth of God's scripture up and against those ideas. Is that what you're kind of speaking yes, to? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Like right now, so when you can, when you write a sermon now, it's sort of like, to which untruth do I speak today? Right. Well, wrong question. Mm. Better is, what is this truth that I'm going to speak? Mm. And hopefully it speaks to a lot of untruths. Now, yeah. the text may directly speak to an untruth, and then you get to speak to it. Uh, but no, we didn't have that bombardment of alternative readings of reality hmm. like we do now i love that we might have alternative opinions about things but yeah. now people are creating their own realities hmm. i don't need to name what that means uh and that's just so much more overwhelming hmm. um and and then then the instability factor yeah um you know, I grew up in Western civilization you, you, you could see it was starting to crumble a bit but for the most part it was stable. Hmm. 
now? No. And that just sets up a whole different kind of dynamic of what we're dealing with. Yeah. What do I say? What's, what is constant? Now, what is the constant between 1971 and 2022 in ministry is Jesus hmm. has not changed. Um, Richard Mao, who used to be the president of uh, Fuller Seminary, said, you can talk about a post-Christian society, you can talk about a post-modern society, a post-modern-modern society, post-all that society, but you can never theologically speak of a post-Christ society. It's impossible. Mm. All things made by him and for him, all things are held together in him. It's impossible to be post-Christ. Mm. So that doesn't change. The, the message doesn't change. The word of God doesn't change. We still are declaring this. We have to declare it in different ways, different languages, all of that, different imagery and all that. It's different, but it, it remains the same. Um, the needs of people remain the same. Um, they, need, they need meaning. They need satisfaction. They need hope. Mm. Um, th they need joy. <laughs> uh, they need to belong. They need community. Uh, they need healing. That doesn't change well, the need for community is greater than it was. Hmm. Um, but none of that's changed. So those, those are still true hmm. about ministry. Hmm. Um, is that my answer to the question? I just love listening to you reflect on it. I didn't tell you about this yet. Yesterday, I was recording an episode of the podcast for CCLN, and it was Joyce Reese. Oh, huh. And it, we had the best conversation. She's just an amazing pastor. She's in Calgary now, Epic Vineyard. Yeah. And uh, she shared stories about you when she was at Regent that you gave her, she gave you some of her sermons and you listened and gave her the best feedback, she said. She just was so impacted by it. And then another time when you actually uh, gave uh, ropes like for her to do a funeral and you shared those with her and gave her a tip about like um, putting elastic here so you can push it up <laughs> or something like that. and. It was so such a joy for me because I experienced being in your proximity, feeling strengthened as a young leader. And then her relationship was a bit different, but just in these little touch points, strengthened as a young leader huh. and felt so empowered. And I know there's a wake around your life. And, and can you speak to a little bit about empowering and releasing the next generation of pastors, the next generation of leaders, and even just a little bit into your mind about how you're thinking about that? Because you made a decision not just recently but for years in your ministry say i want to also be giving this away i want to be multiplying myself and something that joyce said that was really powerful so powerful she she said that you said i don't want to mess with you, what your preaching approach you've got this unique way and you said if i got you to preach like me it wouldn't work it wouldn't work and I, what's so special about that is you didn't just you saw this unique potential and you've done this for me as well and different people I know. I try to pull that out opposed to imposing one way of doing ministry on. I just really want to honor you for that. Thank you. And, uh, but just, can you just share a little bit about your heart for, and your, what your mindset around giving it away, raising up, empowering? Yeah, just a kind of a refinement on how you put that. Um, I'm not wanting to give uh, necessarily myself away. How did you put it? Um, and, uh, so I'll just not go down that route. I'll just say what I'm meaning is I want to give away what he's given me. Hmm. And if it's useful, great. If it's not useful, that's fine too. 
So uh, the, if if my material helps you, I, I'm very grateful. If my material, you go, oh man, that only worked in 1980. I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, I, I am, I regularly say this to Sharon, I am just so moved by the way God has gifted you and your friends and and this generation. I'm I'm sure he gifted our generation years ago in, in some ways, I, but it doesn't doesn't seem it. It's different, and I wonder if it's different because the need is greater, hmm. the challenges are greater. So he's given powerful gifts to you and to others, and I then see um, if I'm to have a role. Uh, is to name that, help name that for you. Mm. To say, this is what, how he's made you. This is what he's given you to do. Don't run down that road. You don't need mm. to. This is the road you're on. Go for it. Um, and if you want some help, here, here's some exegesis on a passage of that yeah, helps you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, so, so my job is twofold. Give it away if you can use it. And then the other one you've heard me say is get out of the way. Mm. It's just harder. Yeah. Uh, if I keep hogging the pulpit, when are the others going to get a chance to preach? Mm. Now, Sharon will say to me, don't give it away completely yet, <laughs> and you do too. But um, yeah, so how to get out of the way and to live empowering mm -hmm. um, this incredible body of leaders reflected on this call today, mm -hmm. on the other calls. I, I'm just overwhelmed by that. Mm. And um when I talk to older churches, I just want them to see this. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. Church is in good hands on, on a human level. It's good in hands in Jesus' hands. But um, now, now, now what, what's the, the great need? I think the great need is encouragement uh, to believe that you are gifted. And the great need is um, uh, help in becoming biblically literate. Mm. Because many in your generation did not have the privilege that yeah. I did. I grew up in first-rate Sunday schools. Mm. I, you know, I go to junior high knowing the whole salvation story. Mm. Um, and now we have generational leaders who didn't have any time in the church. Yeah. So how do we help fill in um, mm. uh, their understanding of the great story of the Bible and then the particular parts in each books? And you know, that's my great burden and, and how do we do that it's very challenging <clears throat> am i speaking to what you raised i just want i'm just trying to get you speaking <laughs> i'm not looking i'm just <clears throat> so grateful for all that you share and um well i'll on this biblical literacy thing because yeah. one of the persons did ask that, yeah, that came question. up a bunch yeah um how it, it, and it, i i sensed in it a lament oh my goodness what are huge job that we have to build mm -hmm. biblical literacy. You know that Sharon and I just came back in, in September from a trip to Greece that yeah. I did for Regent College. So I had to do a lot of work in Acts to get ready for that. And I see Acts in two parts. The first part leading um, from Jerusalem up into Turkey in that area. And then the second part from Macedonia into Greece and then into Rome. The first part, Paul can do ministry Assuming biblical literacy, hmm. he goes into, Luke says he goes into these different synagogues and different places, and he can call on Isaiah, he can call on Jeremiah, he can call on Psalm 2 or Psalm 139, and people have that. Hmm. When he goes to Macedonia and now goes into Greece, 
none of that's there. Mm. Now it's all saturated in mythology. It was overwhelming to be in that place 2,000 years later, still with all this Greek and Roman mythology controlling the worldview mm. um, uh, for, for many people. There are strong churches there too. So I, I, was, I was thinking then, the answer to the question is, we have to ask, how did the early church do this biblical literacy? And mm. we'll just copy them. And they did it in two ways, if I may say. I'd love to hear. It's probably three ways. The Lord's Day opening in the scripture and just carefully teaching one Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and slowly building up. Two, a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. Hmm. Paul spent a lot of time, Timothy and Titus and others, teaching them what he knew of the gospel. Hmm. And then three, um, you remember that story in Ephesus where Paul rents the hall of Tyrannus mm -hmm. and for every day for two years, he's teaching. So um, I think that that's the needs. We look at our congregation, well, look at the leadership. Yeah. Um, that uh, you wanna do uh, teaching the Bible in your, in your sermons, teaching the Bible one-on-one -on -one when you're meeting with people, always bring your Bible, no matter what coffee meeting you have, and then setting up these longer times hmm. for people to go deeper. Not everyone will come. Hmm. I'm sure not the whole of the church of Ephesus showed sure. up the whole of Tyrannus. It was probably in the heat of the day anyway, so they're not gonna come. So that re-encouraged me. We're in the same place. Hmm. Hello, we're back at the beginning. Hmm. Let's find out what they did and just do it. Hmm. It'll take time. Yeah, you got something to add? Oh, Bible Project. It's a great resource. A tremendous resource. You watched that sermon I sent you, didn't you? Yes, I did. It's pretty good. Ex excellent. <laughs> it's excellent. So good. Um, oh yeah, it was really good. And then when you interviewed uh, the person at yeah. at the youth summit, yeah, I was just from the Bible Project. Yeah, yeah, that was just brilliant. So I'm encouraged by that. Yeah, we, have, we have resources. We yeah. don't have to invent the wheel. Yeah. Reinvent the wheel. We can, we can do this. I think this is maybe um, improper to say, but I sort of experience you, not in the literal sense, but in this season of your life, in this like, like a bishop, you know, not in like authoritative, but like in the sense of your, your heart's posture. You have this heart that cares for pastors, like even knowing that there's, you know, however many with us right now, I know your heart just longs for their health, their vibrancy, their joy. And in a moment, I want to ask you to pray for us. Um, but I'd like to ask you first, how is it that you're praying for pastors today? What is it you're praying for? And then, because I think that there's a call for us and the heart of even what we're about to do afterwards to go into small groups and to gather together. Like the heart of what we're doing with CCLN, and I know for you and I working together, mm -hmm. It's not more information that's gonna move the needle. You know, we need, we need some advice, some reframing, good reminders. That's what these conversations are about. But we also, there's, we need to draw deeper in God and to belong to community. We need to contend for one another in prayer. Like imagine if one of the things that happened on the other side of this short experience here is pastors here jotted down a few names of other pastors they know and they committed yeah. to praying for them, right? Yeah, good, good. You know? And so how do you pray for pastors? Um, that we might even ourselves learn to pray for one another. Okay. Uh, dear Lord, please make yourself more known to Jason. Hmm. It's okay to use you. Sure. I mean, 
please. But then let's just make it an actual prayer yeah. be- before okay. God, because I'll take it. I'll take the prayer. So I, I need just, it. So just do it now? Well, you know, you do it however you want. I just wanted to make sure that like before God, he knows this counts. It's not just figurative. Like, so I'll take a prayer from you. That's what I'm saying. That's right. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, you saw me shift into it. So I'm praying that all the, all the pastors I know by name, um, that, that Jesus would become more and more real to them. Yeah. So that the day is full of him. Pray for the ever greater filling of the spirit. Hmm. Pray that the word of God would become more alive and more, hmm. cont- more um, gripping. Uh, I want to say contagious, like more, more compelling. Hmm. So that you just hunger for scripture. Pray for protection of the evil one. Keep the lies away from you. Um, pray for your, the health of your family. Um, and, and then pray that, that you might recognize who the true savior of the world is. Hmm. You, you are participating with him, but it's not on your shoulders. It's not. Beautiful. <clears throat> Would you pray for us? Yeah. In that way. Oh, thanks for the privilege. Oh, it's so good to be with you. Mm. Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for the under shepherds you are raising up across Canada. It's humbling to me to share and to people our age to witness this. This what it's so powerful and sweet at the same time. So I do pray that you would be more and more real to each one, so that they may find their life and their hope and their um, their home in you. You would fill them, just fill them every day more and more with your spirit of wisdom and revelation and power and love and hope and that the lord you just would make the word more alive that just every time they open it i pray that you would emerge from the pages and 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 encounter them and i pray that you would help them see their context the way you see it to see the people the way you see them and then step in and join what you're doing. Yeah. We thank you. Uh, we thank you that one day you will have your way completely. Mm-hmm. One day every knee will bow and every tongue yeah. confess that the good shepherd is Lord of the universe. And we pray in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Daryl, for taking the time to share with us. If you are wanting to connect with more of Daryl's work, we've made that easy for you to do. Just head to darylljohnson.ca and you'll find links out to so much good stuff. Sermons, podcasts, his personal sermon notes, his books, and more. And if you're sad to have missed this gathering, do not worry. We want to do more of these in the near future. The easiest way to find out about our next one will be to join our mailing list at ccln.ca or just to follow us on Instagram. Just type in CCLN and you'll find us there. Now, before we sign off, I want to thank a few people who helped shape this gathering and this episode. Thank you, Daniel Rowe, for helping produce this gathering and Josh Thompson for all your technical support behind the scenes. I want to thank Anne Miranda for hosting our time together and all the facilitators. I think there were 16 of you who volunteered your time to help host these small groups. You know who you are. Thank you so much. I want to thank Will Lee for putting this episode together for more people to hear. And lastly, I want to give a quick shout out to the crew of youth pastors that was in my group. Joey in Dunville, Olivia in Oakville, Adrian in Montreal, 
Ben in Waterloo bless you in all that you're doing to serve Jesus and his church. You know, our team loves being able to provide this kind of content for pastors, and we're only able to do it because of the generosity of individuals and churches who want to help fuel our team in this work. So if you've benefited from our work at CCLN in some way, and you want to be a part of that group of givers, please consider heading to cclnca slash partner to find out more about what it could look like for you to join us in encouraging and resourcing pastors in Canada. Okay. Thanks again for being with us for this special episode on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for all that you're doing to help see Jesus' kingdom come here in Canada. Bye for now.